In our first story today, MMJ Biopharma Cultivation has applied for a DEA Schedule 1 bulk manufacturer license to cultivate cannabis plants to support MMJ International Holdings, who are investigating a new drug for multiple sclerosis and Huntington's disease. Now, they're also going to plan to meet the growing demand for hospitals, researchers, and scientists, and they're going to facilitate a process of scientific drug development and discovery governed by the FDA protocol development process and the DEA regulatory manufacturing guidelines. Now, the interesting part of this is in order to meet the public benefit requirements, MMJ Biopharma Cultivation has entered into an agreement with the U.S. Native American tribe to perform its development activities. They're planning a phased development program on Native American tribal trust land of approximately 1 million square feet. It's going to have a state-of-the-art extraction analytics lab. And as an added bonus, they're also going to be employing tribal members in its development and cultivation program. Dr. Elio Mariani, a senior executive of the company and Big Pharma veteran, stated, quote, We are looking forward to our collaboration with the tribe in unlocking the potential of cannabinoid medicines to address serious medical conditions. Our efforts will be guided by the FDA and DEA as we strive to produce the highest pharma-grade plants and extracts for clinical research. Now, where this is particularly interesting is the fact that they're using tribal land. Don't know what that means as far as permits and DEA and FDA, because obviously they're regulating a lot of this, but the fact that they're using tribal land, which is sovereign and doesn't have to adhere to federal law in a lot of instances, should make it for an interesting case to follow moving forward. And as always, we'll have the updates as we move along. In acquisition news, Green Growth Brands, who have been snapping up quite a few companies as of late, have acquired Moxie. You've probably heard of this brand use their products, if you're in California at all, for $310 million. Now, Moxie has a current cash balance of $39 million, allowing it to fund its own business plan. And on closing, the combination is going to bring together the two best in-class cannabis operators and create a superior coast-to-coast cannabis player with immediate access to nine key states, including California, Florida, Nevada, Massachusetts, and up to 16 states total, including Moxie's expansion potential. And that's where their play is here, is in CBD, which by acquiring Moxie, they're going to combine 200-plus of GGB's expected CBD mall bay shops, along with Moxie's 250 retail dispensary locations. And we're really starting to see some big money getting thrown around with these acquisitions. $310 million for Moxie may sound like a lot, but in five years we may look back at this and say, they got a steal. CanTrust Holdings Incorporated, a publicly traded company, are in a lot of trouble. Some very hot water after the Globe and Mail was the first to report claims by CanTrust employee Nick Lalonde, who had alleged that staff at the Pelham site had been asked to install temporary walls in an attempt to hide the unlicensed production from Health Canada officials. Essentially, they were using fake walls to hide unlicensed grows from regulators. Former employee Lalonde went on to say they were following regulations for about a month, and then all of a sudden, they stopped following them and started cutting corners and breaking rules. In the meantime, Cantrust has halted sales after some of those illegal products had been shipped overseas. The regulators were going to come down pretty hard anyway, and Cantrust has until July 18th to respond to Health Canada's inspection findings, at which point the regulator will consider any appropriate enforcement action, which can be as severe as a $1 million fine or the outright cancellation of the company's federal license, which, after a fake wall, looks like might be happening. And since Monday last week, their shares have plunged almost 40%. So if you own any stock in CanTrust, you should probably get out now. Three years after saying it wanted more suppliers of cannabis for research, the U.S. government continues to hold a monopoly on growing the crop. While more than two dozen entities have submitted applications to the DEA to become growers, the government has dragged its feet in processing the paperwork and is instead stepping up its own crop. Its exclusive supplier, the University of Mississippi, is growing 4,000 pounds this year the largest crop in five years, according to a report by the Associated Press. 
Now, this is important because it limits other universities and researchers from legally growing their own crop for research. Orthopedics researcher Emily Lindley at the University of Colorado isn't too happy with the situation. Lindley, who is studying whether cannabis with high THC levels can be an alternative to addictive opioids for chronic back pain, says she wants more suppliers than just Ole Miss, which has had limited strain varieties and product availability. She said, quote, we want to study what our patients are using, but since federally funded researchers had to follow federal law, it's still classified as a Schedule One drug and thus regulated. Now, the government's relationship with the University of Mississippi goes all the way back to 1968 when a scientist there offered to grow cannabis for research as a favor to some colleagues. And the federal government subsequently set up a contract for the university to be its sole supplier. Though the contracts had five-year terms, no institution outcompeted Mississippi for the deal. Now, we've all seen this time and time again. Backroom deals, contracts are contracts. Let's just go ahead and not take other bids. So Ole Miss won this contract back in 1968, and it's been the same ever since. But not all hope was lost. In June of 2018, the FDA approved a CBD-based treatment for certain seizure disorders affecting children. While that doesn't mean every college is going to be able to start growing, it does show that they are at least open and receptive to the medicinal qualities of marijuana, which in my book is a win unto itself. And on to a couple of notable states issues that occurred over the weekend. People suffering from anxiety disorders and Tourette syndrome will soon be able to legally obtain medical marijuana in Pennsylvania. State Department of Health Secretary Dr. Rachel Levine said the new inclusion was based on recommendations from the Medical Marijuana Advisory Board, as well as research on marijuana treatment with both conditions. She said, quote, I do not take this decision lightly and do have recommendations for physicians, dispensary pharmacists, and patients in terms of the use of medical marijuana to treat these conditions. She went on to say, quote, for both conditions, medical marijuana is not the first line treatment and should not replace traditional therapies, but should be used in conjunction with them when recommended by a physician. Now, according to the state's Office of Health, there are roughly 111,000 active patients in the state who have received certifications under the medical marijuana program in Pennsylvania which legalized medical pot back in 2016. Oregon has too much weed and lawmakers are pretty upset about it. Five years after the state legalized recreational marijuana, its lawmakers are trying to rein in production. Fearing the state's big weed surplus will tempt some licensed businesses to sell their products out of state or in the illegal marketplace. And they're worried that crackdowns from the federal government could cast a pall over the legal marijuana industry. And last year, the U.S. Attorney of the District of Oregon put the state on notice when he announced that curbing interstate trafficking was his top cannabis law enforcement priority. Michael Getlin, founder of a 15,000-square-foot cannabis farm in Oregon City, said, Licensed growers have spent thousands of dollars on compliance and don't want to risk their business by selling legally. He said, quote, The flip side of that is... I get cold calls all the time for people out of state looking to go shopping. He said most of the time they're offering two to three times the market price for Oregon, which makes it somewhat difficult for him to say no. Now, Oregon surplus, while legal, can be a cautionary tale for other states as they try to manage their marijuana policy and supply and demand. Some states, like Colorado and Washington, limit the production licenses people can hold and the number of plants business can grow. And to address the situation... Oregon this year enacted legislation that allows regulators to stop issuing new production licenses when supply exceeds demand, kind of like now. And the state also approved a ballot measure that, with federal approval, would allow growers to sell their cannabis out of state. Now, the Oregon Liquor Control Commission is in charge of offering these licenses. And to this point, the Oregon Commission has licensed 1,136 recreational growers. And they aren't the only suppliers in the state. Only about half of the marijuana Oregon adults consume is bought from licensed recreational dispensaries, with the remainder being supplied by medical growers, home growers, and the illegal market. But there's not a lot of evidence saying that the recreational legal marijuana is leaving the state, though some businesses may be breaking the law to juice their sales. A lot of people are scared that they're going to overproduce those products as well. Maybe, maybe not, but what happens if it does happen? Are they going to be able to ship it across state lines? 
This has been the debut episode of the Cannabis Commuter Edition. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, please just subscribe, like, rate, tell your friends, share it on Facebook, Twitter, wherever else you see fit. We'll talk to you again tomorrow morning. Have a great rest of your day.